complete teaching of Anapanasati, being 16 contemplations, all which have the breath part of it. As has been mentioned, is about becoming aware of the body, the breath being a significant expression of the body, feelings, the mind, all the different mind states, that color consciousness, and then the Dharma itself, the lawfulness, the laws of nature that apply to everything that's come before, the body, the feelings, and the mind states. In the condensed or shortened version, We calm the breath down, calm the mind down, as we've been doing now for a few days. And if you feel that your mind is steady enough, there's nothing automatic or magical about three days or four days. Each person has to judge their own practice. If in a given sitting you feel that there is enough calm, enough stability, Then we bring in the second step. The 16 are reduced to two. One, calming, shamatha, and the second, vipassana, insight. And that is seeing the impermanence of everything. The breath itself. In a few moments, we'll do a a brief guided meditation to launch us into our vipassana practice. And so you can see that whether a practice is officially shamatha or vipassana doesn't have so much to do with the object as how you relate to the object. When we're with the breath, mainly to calm and steady the mind, the whole point being to anchor our attention in the breathing. We call that shamatha or samadhi practice, concentration. But the very same breath, in one breath, can become a vipassana practice when we become interested in the character of the breathing. What is its nature? And as I hope uh, was suggested strongly enough last night, impermanence is a very wonderful door into wisdom, into compassion, into freedom. And so traditionally, uh, excellent place to begin our work is to notice that the breath is impermanent. We'll go into 
more detail in a moment. So we can see impermanence in the breathing. Each breath begins and ends. But if we look carefully at the breathing, you'll see that each breath also feels a certain way. It's an immediate response that the breath is pleasant. A given in-breath, a given out-breath is experienced immediately as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. If we examine the breathing from the point of view of what each breath feels like, we can begin to see that feelings change. They're not self. Each feeling, whatever it is, changes. It comes and it goes. It becomes something else. And then the mind reacts to whatever the feeling is. If the breath is, uh, for example, flowing very freely, is very subtle, then the mind might have a reaction of being pleased. Thinking of itself as, this is real practice. This is why I came here. I like this Anapanasati and whatever it thinks of in, re in response to the way the breath is. Or it may have a response in terms of a mood. If the breath is difficult, the feeling tone of the breathing is not pleasant, the mind can respond with disappointment, annoyance, craving, so that so just the, everything around, the, even any one breath can bring in the body, the breath as the body, the breath as feelings, because it feels a certain way, and the mind states that respond to the breath being a certain way. That's one, one way to use breathing itself to cover the entire four contemplations that, if you recall, are from the Satipatthana Sutra there, the four foundations of mindfulness, basic to all vipassana practice. And some people like to work that way, but the practice can become much broader and, uh, in a way, simpler. Whereas you calm the mind, concentrate it, and then when you feel ready, just sit with no agenda whatsoever. Being with the breathing, but now instead of the highly focused, localized, narrowing down kind of attention that we give the breath to concentrate the mind. 
Now we're with the breathing, but there's a much more panoramic, open, open, comprehensive attitude. An attitude of naivete, of no motive, no direction, no calculations or schemes, but rather simply sitting in the midst of the breathing, the breath being a gateway into the fullness that each one of us is. And just letting whatever turns up, turn up without an agenda. Sometimes it will be feeling something. Sometimes the body will come in on it. Sometimes certain mind states. And as they come up, when they're clear and vivid enough to capture our attention, we give them full mindfulness. And we see that they arise and pass away. the futility or mistaken tendency to turn things into a self becomes harder to do as the fleetingness and transiency of everything becomes apparent. And so we just sit in a relaxed, open way and just allow the parade to go by different mind states, different feelings, different conditions of the body, sounds, smells, everything's welcome. Images in the mind, moods, I like, I don't like, memories, plans, complete openness. All the while, breathing in and breathing out, and we're covering all 16 contemplations this way because more and more as we begin to see impermanence, as it becomes so obvious that everything comes and goes, comes and goes, the letting go part of our practice quite naturally grows out of the convincingness. Of our perception of things changing. Sometimes the coming and going and the letting go is happening so fast that uh, just one thing is becoming another and just be comfortable with that. It's not that we have to keep thinking about anything. In fact, finally, it's not about thinking at all. Impermanence is a fact. This flow is coming and going. We use the word impermanence for it. The word's not important. And sometimes the letting go can be happening with a great intensity and continuously. As we start dropping the burden of turning things into me or something that belongs to me, we stop appropriating all the materials that make up consciousness as being me or mine. 
We give them back to nature, throw them back. We never owned them in the first place, but we thought we did. And we dropped a huge weight of thinking that we're this or that, attaching to this or that. So the instruction here is a very simple one. Not wise to do unless the mind is steady, to just sit. Fully experiencing everything that comes and goes as being just what it is. And experiencing it fully as it is, just as it is. free of concepts or ideas. When they come up, we see them, and we see them come and go too. Doubts and puzzlement and all the rest. Everything's welcome. We learn to open our heart to ourselves. We learn how to sit right in the middle of our experience. We learn how to be ourselves. We see all the ideals that we have about who we were, who we are, and who we should be. We honor them, but we see that they're just what they are, just notions, empty notions that come and go. They're not to be despised, just to be experienced. And they liberate themselves quite naturally. And of course, things break down. We attach to something. We hold on to something that's leaving because we like it, or we start pushing something away. We want our sitting to be more peaceful. We want our mind to be more clear and alert. We find ourselves suffering. See that. See the attachment. Don't be in a hurry to let go. The letting go quite naturally grows out of the clear seeing of attachment. If you're practicing this way, practicing one or another forms of the vipassana, insight work, and you find that you're getting lost in the stuff of the mind, that you're out of focus, although you've heard the instructions, you understand them, Nonetheless, the mind is identifying with things. It is making things into me and mine. It's attaching. The cravings overpower our mindfulness and so forth. You can begin to examine that itself, but if that becomes too much of a struggle, it's usually wisest to go back to the shamatha practice. The simple in-breath and out-breath is not to be underestimated. Part of its power and its value is the naturalness and the simplicity of it. It's always there, in, out, in, out. Just come to rest in it, in the breathing. 
and sometimes in some sittings a few breaths and we're clear again and then we can open the field to the arising and passing away of whatever and at other times we may feel it's best to use our time calming using the breath to calm ourselves for the remainder of the sitting and for as many sittings as you wish don't see it as shamatha is inferior to vipassana that's just for beginners and kindergarten kids and real adults are doing vipassana all the time it's more like the right and left hand washing each other both hands wash get the job done together and then at the end of it both hands are clean the art is lo- learning what's needed what's most skillful most fruitful now to be practicing vipassana when the mind is uh, unable to really do it is just a, an exercise in futility sometimes we have a subtle arrogance someone slipped me a note didn't sign their name which said something like we must never be too proud to come back to the breath don't underestimate the breathing that's the whole point of anapanasati it can take you as far as you want to go but you have to ride on it to get there if the ride in it there are other variations some people may uh for one reason or another and you don't have to know why really for a certain period of time feel drawn to practicing in in a particular way for example someone in cambridge was very drawn to the length of the breath it's not important why and they practice vipassana just on the breath becoming longer and shorter and then staying brief and it staying short and then getting longer again and uh really held their interest for months of practice and it took them very very deep deep into themselves someone else may just really love to look at the the mind itself directly or certain bodily states and spend a lot of time noticing the impermanence of all the bodily sensations a number of you have practiced with uh, goenka his practice does that a lot examining the the sensations that are pleasant unpleasant neutral seeing them arise and pass away sometimes people are very tired and for at least a few people they've used sound contemplated sound hearing sounds come and go come and go and in between listening carefully to silence which also is broken into by sound which then leaves and so forth so there's a lot of room for each person to find their own way in the practice
and in general my own experiences has been that um, spending a lot of time on the shamatha part is, of the practice is not a waste of time. Some of you may wish to devote most of the retreat to really deepening this sense of concentration and calm. And that may be the wisest way to use your time here. Opportunities for insight come up anyway. More and more you'll be able to see that any time there's a bit of suffering. Just look at it and see if there's some attachment. And as you see that, of course, you're <clears throat> right in the midst of Vipassana practice. As you see the nature of attachment. How we hold on to things that are over and we suffer. How we want things to be this way, but they're that way. So from here on in, uh, each of us can guide our own practice along these lines. And it's a very beautiful art to be learned, the art of shamatha vipassana. Sometimes called, and I like this way of seeing it very much, serene reflection. Bringing the mind to a certain level of serenity. which then opens it to the possibility of a profound seeing into its nature. What is this that I'm looking at that's doing all this? Not the thoughts, but a clear and deep looking, serene reflection. When we're tired of reflecting or not so able to do it, we come back to the serenity practice. And learning how to move back and forth very gracefully and artfully, bringing the two together, there comes a point where finally they are, they're the same. It's a steady mind examining itself. In this short form, the condensed uh, approach to Anapanasati, a very nice bridge from the shamatha practice into Vipassana is to begin to work with the breathing and to see the impermanence of breath. And I'd like to suggest we do that together now in the remaining time that we have in this sitting. So each person, please come to the breathing wherever you're doing that. Pick one place. For some of you, it's the abdomen. For others, the nose, wherever. The chest, the whole breath. The important thing is to not be confused as to where to be. So we don't have to make that decision. Very simply, decide where your attention is best able to pick up the breathing. 
and then begin to experience the in-breath as it arises, it emerges from nowhere, begins to change and then it dissolves and falls away, goes back into nowhere. Perhaps a pause and then the out-breath does the same thing. Very carefully tracking each in-breath, tracking each out-breath, being careful not to strain or force things. It's just slightly different than what we've already been doing. And begin to see that each, each breath is of the nature to change. If it appears, then it must disappear. See that law in operation over and over and over again. As you're doing it, usually you can't help but also notice how the quality of the breath keeps changing from this to that and then back to this. But the key is to stay is to stay in very close touch with the breathing. Taking it one breath at a time, giving full care and attention to each in-breath, each out-breath, and then seeing what happens. If this is useful, you may want to do more of it during the day. and Some of you may wish to just Calm the mind and then just plunge in, just sit in an open way to whatever is happening. It's all useful. They're all different Dharma doors leading to the same place. Finally, for those of you who are newer to this method of full awareness of breathing, let me be explicit about something that may be obvious to you, but just in case it isn't, it's important to point out. When we're doing the shamatha work, the breath is an exclusive object of attention. That's a certain mode of attention where there's a narrowing down. And we're not particularly interested in everything that's other than breath. We just allow that to just flow along. And we bring the breathing into focus. It's an exclusive, specific, ongoing object. But once we open the field of attention up and 
begin to see the impermanence in the body and in feelings and in any mind state, the role of the breath changes unless you're examining the breath itself. Now, instead of it being the exclusive object of focus, of attention, the particular condition of the body would be what we focus our attention on. The particular feeling would be what we would come to and give full attention to. And the different thoughts and images and moods and mind states are what we totally listen to. And yet the breath is always there. Perhaps we're examining fear. We give our full attention to the fear itself. And although the focus is on fear, we're aware that breathing is happening. At first, for many people, it feels as if it's in the background or alongside of you. It helps to nourish the mindfulness that's examining fear. It helps to steady it. It helps cut down unnecessary thinking about the fear. It helps stay in the present moment with fear. And the more you work with the breath this way, you'll see that the conscious breathing really helps us to get to know all that's other than breath. Sometimes, perhaps as the practice develops, as we're doing it a lot, for some people, it's experienced more as a unified field. You can't really say the breath is in the background or on the side or anything like that. So that you're, once again, focused. You bring fear into focus. And the breathing is right there in the midst of it. It's a comprehensive experience. You're seeing the fear clearly in the midst of breathing. We're not trying to program this movement in any way. Let it unfold naturally. But if you wish to practice the, the method of Anapanasati, then of course it's central to that is to keep the breath in mind as much as possible throughout the day, whether as an exclusive object or as an adjunct to whatever else you're doing, seeing, hearing, experiencing. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.